Good evening. It is great to see you here tonight. Hope you had a great afternoon. Thankful to God for another opportunity for us to be back together and to study and to fellowship and to praise Him. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. We're going to start here, look at a couple other passages, and then get to our actual sermon this evening, so you will know that's a lengthy introduction. <laughs> Acts chapter 10. We start here in Acts 10 because there are these times when the Bible will say something about Jesus, and it'll be just a wonderful statement about him, but it will encapsulate so much of who he is and what he did. And one of those passages is here. This is the event where Peter has been convinced by the vision in Acts chapter 9 to finally take the gospel ultimately to a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. And that hasn't happened yet. And God has convinced Peter that he should go with the whole sheet and the vision and the meat, rise, Peter, Peter kill and eat. Peter said, nothing unclean has ever entered my body. God responds by saying, what God has cleansed, don't you call common. And so Peter arrives at the home of Cornelius, and he begins in verse 34 with these words, and he tells us what he's learned. Peter opened his mouth and began to say, I most certainly understand, King James says, I perceive, I've come to know that God is no respecter of persons. God doesn't judge faces. God doesn't do that. In fact, Peter goes on to say, but in every nation, he that works righteousness is accepted of him. And then he continues to talk about Jesus, and he says, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all of Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with power and the Holy Spirit, and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses. Now, Peter continues to preach this sermon, and it culminates in Peter saying, who can, who can prevent these people from being baptized? But it's there in verse 38 that is our phrase, the thing he said about Jesus. He said, he went about doing good. I want you to think about that for just a moment. That very well encapsulates the life of Christ. He went about doing good. His purpose for coming was good. His preaching was good. And maybe more than either of those, his person was good. Jesus was good. And he went about in the world doing good. If you met Jesus, you would have been better having met him because he just went about doing good. Now, I say that because that's what he says to those who would follow him. Our title this morning or this evening is Good Deeds. But if you look back at Matthew chapter 5, our Lord's first address to mankind, one of the things he says is, you're going to go about doing good. That will be the expectation, that you will not simply go about being good, but that you will be a good person. You'll be like Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, we're described his followers in a couple of different ways. He says to them, you are the salt of the earth. And before we start in verse 13, what would we be, what would anybody be if we did what's in verse 3 down to verse number 12? What would we be if we were poor in spirit? 
those who mourn, those who showed mercy, hungered and thirsted for righteousness, merciful, pure of heart, peace. What would we be but good? And what would those individuals do but good? And so we get to verse 13, and he says, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men. Listen to the expectation that they will see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Jesus went about doing good. What's his expectation of those who will follow him? They will go about doing good. One more passage, and we'll get to our text. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul puts it all together, and there he says, with reference to Christ, that he actually created us to good works. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse number 8, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we could talk about the kinds of works of which we're speaking tonight. They're not the kind of works that you come up with. That is, they don't emanate from your good behavior apart from Jesus. No, it's not like we're going to go out here and save the world and thereby those good works God is going to approve. No, that's not how it works. It's not our good works. It's good works in connection with Christ. It's good works because of Christ. It's good works because of being saved by Christ. In fact, it's right to say they're His works, and we're doing them. And so we get to verse number 9, and he says, not of works, not of those kinds, lest any man should boast, which is what we would do. But the very next verse, verse number 10, he says, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The book is Titus, if you have your Bibles. And as we look at the book of Titus this evening, it's interesting how frequently this subject comes up. It's a short three-chapter book, and six times in three chapters, the phrase, good works, King James, or good deeds, appears. We've been talking about for some time now, and we will continue through the course of the year, sanctification. It's important to appreciate that that's God's expectation of us, yes, to what end? That we will be good people who do good works. In fact, as you read through this book and you read that phrase, it has a lot of different things associated with it. The first time it occurs is in chapter 1. Each occurrence, of course, has a context, and the first time is in chapter 1 and verse number 16, the last verse in the chapter. And so, working backward, the context would actually begin a little earlier. For instance, in verse number 5 down to verse number 9, he will talk about elders and the appointment of elders and the qualifications, if you will allow, or the characteristics these individuals are to have. And as you read through this, these are to be good men. And then he gets down to verse number 10, and he starts talking about those who oppose the truth. And he says of them, there are many rebellious men, 
empty talkers, deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. He says they must be silenced or who mouths must be stopped because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things which they should not for the sake of sordid gain. There are false teachers in the first century teaching things within the church for profit. And he says they're destroying whole families. And Paul says to Titus, they have to be stopped. He says in verse 13, this testimony for them is, is reason reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. It's not our study tonight. I think at some point we'll circle back, talk about this same book and how frequently he talks about sound doctrine. That really the good deeds are connected to the sound doctrine. The healthy teaching is what leads to and flows out of the good deeds. But these individuals are opposed to that. He says in verse 14, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their consciences are defiled. With regards to good deeds, then you can begin to hear here what would prevent one from doing good deeds, what would work against good deeds. And he says with regards to these individuals, their, their hearts aren't pure. Their minds and their consciences are defiled. And he says in verse 16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. You see the connection between what one professes and what one does. They profess to know God. That is, if you just listen to them, if you just let them talk and tell you, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, he's so wonderful, if that's what they profess. He says, however, but by their deeds— they deny the very one they profess. He ends the passage by saying, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Good deeds flow from a pure heart. They flow out of pure motives. They are the product of a pure life. And absent of these, the works deny the profession. Secondly, good deeds set forth an example. The very next chapter, you don't have to stop reading. The thoughts don't stop. Paul says, in fact, by way of contrast, but. The context would begin here. The phrase will appear a little later. And immediately he says with regards to Titus, after talking about them, they're worthless for good deeds. Who's worthless for good deeds? People who profess but won't do. They deny the very thing. Why? The heart's not pure, the motive's not pure, the person's not pure. He says to Titus, but, but thou, as for you, note the connection again, speak the things which become sound doctrine. It's connected always, the healthy teaching, the good deeds. And immediately he begins to talk about among ourselves, these good deeds are present, and they serve as an example. Notice verse number two, older men are to do something. They're to be a particular kind of person. They're to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love and perseverance. And then he shifts, older women, they're to be a particular kind of person. And he says, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, 
Why? Verse number four, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible. Wait, is that a good deed? Absolutely. That would be a good deed for the church, for older men to be as they ought to be and then to do what they're supposed to do, for older women to be as they ought to be and then do what they're supposed to be. That would be a good work right within the body of the Lord. He says to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. And then he says to Titus, in all things show yourself to be, here's our word, an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Why? So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. What will the good deeds do? Internally, the good deeds will provide an example and produce the kinds of people who are just like Jesus. They go about doing good. Titus, good works and a good life, he says, is beyond reproach. The third time it appears is in this very chapter, just a few verses later. And this time he says, with regards to these good deeds, we need to be zealous about it. There needs to be a fervency, an energy, an urgency about doing them. Just keep reading there in verse number 11. He says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope at the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. He's moved now to talk about our salvation. That God's grace has appeared. From whence do the good works come? The good deeds are the result of the grace of God bringing salvation. That's why they're not ours. That's why we don't make ourselves good. It's because God shined his grace on us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, which is why Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says what it says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Same thing, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us what's our appreciation of salvation. It produces and results in good. Good deeds, good people, appreciative of the grace of God, teaching us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Verse number 14 is where the phrase appears. He says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. What kind of people are we intended by God to be good people? But good people, not for the sake of being good people. No, the shining of the light is to glorify God. And the glorification of God flows out of the thankfulness for His grace and our salvation. And as a result of that, we're zealous for good deeds. Once purified, we belong to him. We become zealous, a burning zeal, a zealot, devoted, a devoted adherent to good deeds. 
But it's not just that. Chapter 3 and verse number 1, the very next time it appears, he says, be ready. Remind them. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Now, he's actually covered that. In fact, he said it multiple times, but he says it again here. This good deeds. He says, now, be ready to do that. With reference to whom? We're back to being outside now. We, we do this toward everybody. He's already talked about one to another. He's talked about the elders. He's talked about sound teaching. He's talked about the example of older men, younger women. and old, He's talked about all of that. And now he returns again, and he says, listen, remind them. It's a three-chapter book. He said it three times. And then he says, remind them. Remind them to do what? Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. How do we treat people? He says, malign no one. Be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Note the contrast in verse number three. For we also ourselves were foolish. Once we were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior appeared, His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing, regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us all richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It always ties back to Jesus. It always ties back to God's grace. It always ties back to our need. And on some real level, it is an appreciation for what God and Christ has done, the example that's been set. And here he says, in light of that now, remind them to be ready. Good works flow out of our character. It's motivated by our appreciation of God's righteousness and mercy and justification and hope. We have been redeemed, prepared, zealous, purified, and so he says, be ready. Ultimately, what that means is we must look for and seize opportunities to do good deeds. We're not waiting for them to manifest themselves. We're not ready, waiting and looking for someone else to do something. No. What if every Christian, not simply in this building or this congregation, what if just every Christian went out into the world and was ready for good deeds? What if every Christian was zealous for good works, good deeds? What if every Christian went out into life in general, inside and outside, and seize the opportunities to do good. Remember how we began in Acts 10 and verse 38 with reference to Jesus, the Bible says, he just went about doing good. That's the expectation. Reminds me of, uh, of Jonah. You read the prophet Jonah and you, you read through chapter 1 and the Bible says Jonah is asleep. Jonah pays the fare, gets on the boat or the ship, and then he goes maybe down into the hole and goes to sleep. And then a storm arises. Now, it's interesting that everybody awake 
none of them know God. They're all calling their gods. There is a person on the boat who knows Jehovah, but he's asleep. I'd submit to you, Jonah's not ready to every good work. It's not until the one who knows him is awakened. It's not until the one who knows him is involved that they get a solution to the problem. And friends, this world has a way of trying to convince us that everything in the world is important. They have a way of pressing on us and making us believe that everything else should get our attention. When the reality is, if you're in the place, the place is better because you're there. You just need to be awake. If they get to meet you, they're going to be better. You just need to be ready. We're looking for opportunities to do good. And it must have been the case that it was an issue in the first century. I suppose they could be distracted by the persecution. I suppose they could be distracted by the government. I suppose they could be wondering about their safety and on and on and on it could go. And yet Paul says here, now remind them they do need to be obedient, but remind them to be ready to every good deed. That's what God is seeking. That's what we need to be. Number five is here in verse number eight of this book, right after we finish, richly through Christ Jesus our Lord, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Second time he says that, first time is back in chapter one and verse number two. We live in hope of eternal life. You know, that's an interesting book in the way Paul talks about that. All of this has reference to the hope of eternal life. He says in chapter one and verse two, which God promised before the world began, and God cannot lie. And right after that last one in verse number one of this chapter, he says again that we are going to be, we're living in hope of eternal life, verse number seven. And right after that, verse number eight, this is a trustworthy saying. Concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable. The King James has the phrase, maintain good works. Here he says, engage in. Similar idea, maybe the same, but it's, it's certainly not simply being ready to do it, but it's doing it and then maintaining it, continuing in it. You remember Paul says to the Galatian brethren in Galatians chapter 6, let us not be weary in well-doing. Maybe it's the case that doing good can be okay for a while. Maybe after a while of doing good and while constantly receiving bad, sometimes the temptation is, well, I'll just stop too. And if everybody's going to behave like this, well, then I'm done as well. And if nobody else is going to do right, I will take off my equipment, put down my, and I'll walk off the field too. Clearly then, we're not going to be doing good. Paul says, listen, remind them that's not who we are. For who is our example but Jesus? And Jesus went about doing good. Let me ask you this, when? When he sat down in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, verse 2, and opened his mouth and began the teaching? Yes. We ended that saying by saying, whosoever hears these words of mine and doeth them, I liken him to a wise man? Yes. 
when he taught about prayer and led an example and was transfigured and promised the kingdom, yes, 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 and yes. And when he healed the blind and gave, gave, gave sight to the blind and healed the deaf and the lame, yes. When he raised the dead, yes, he went about doing good. But let me ask you this, what about when they lied on him? What about when his friends betrayed him? What about when they denied him? What about when they fell asleep at his most vulnerable hour? What about when they arrested him? What about when they falsely accused him? What about when they scourged him? When they nailed him to the cross? We don't have to wonder because he actually says it. Father, forgive them. Paul says, listen, remind them to be ready. Remind them, but, but also tell them to maintain good works. Assert this firmly, Titus. Assert this strongly. To whom? Those who have believed in God. What is the assertion? What is it? To practice diligently good works. He says, God will approve of this. He says, this is good in the sight of God. But it's not only good in the sight of God. He said, it's profitable to all men. You know, a lot of people keep seeking solution to the world's problems. And they keep trying different things. And Sometimes Christians, too, wonder what is the solution to the world's problems, just how can we make the world better? And they might come up with a lot of different things and options, and, and, and let's do this, and, and let's do that, and let's do this, and let's get engaged in this. Now, I don't want to stand before you and tell you that none of that's useful and good. Whatever it might be, it might very well be good. But I do want you to understand that God has a solution to the world's problems. First, it's Jesus. Secondly, it's the church. The church doesn't come up with solutions for the world's problems. The church is the solution for the world's problems. You are the light of the world. You are a chosen race, a holy people, a people for God's own possession. You're the salt. You're the light. There's not another solution. There's not another organization. There's no other entity, the one that was purposed in eternity. That's the solution. The people called out of darkness, that's the solution. The world needs the gospel, and there's only one group of individuals who can take it to them. That would be us. What kind of people are we to be? Good people. Good people who engage in good deeds. For this is profitable, not just to God, but for all men. Final time, end of the book. We start at verse 12 because that's where Paul begins to close out the letter. But he manages to say it one more time before he ends the epistle. He says in verse 12, when I send Artemis or Tychius to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. He says, diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. 
in verse 14. Our people, I love that, our people. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, grab the last phrase, so that they will not be unfruitful. Sometimes Christians want to know, what do I need to do? How can I get involved? How can I grow? Paul says here, good deeds. We are fruit-bearing people. It's the Lord's expectation, John 15, 1 to 5, that you would abide in me, and without me you could do nothing. I am the branch, my father is the husbandman. Every, every branch that abides in me bears much fruit. That's the goal, that those who are in Christ would bear much fruit. How do they do that? They engage in good deeds. He says, so that they're not unfruitful. It seems to be a very real concern for God and Christ for his people. That people will not leave the world, come into the body of Christ, and then sit down and do nothing. That people will not come out of the world into Christ, sit down and say, I made it. But as you read through this book, that those people would be zealous and engaging and maintaining in good works, and by so doing, those people would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, over time, doing that with the pure heart and the pure mind, those people will be just like Jesus. When you find them and when you meet them, they will simply be going about doing good. You won't have to tell them. You won't have to conjole them. You won't have to twist their arm. It'll be who they are. And it'll be what they do. And they will bear fruit because of it. He ends the epistle by saying, All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Good deeds. It's how we produce fruit for our Lord. Acts chapter 10 is where we started. And the phrase as Peter introduces Jesus to Cornelius is this. He went about doing good. Jesus then saved us and created us in him to good works. You are the light. You are the salt. You are the city set on a hill. The world and the church is made better because we are zealous, ready, maintaining, and doing good deeds, bearing fruit unto our God. Now, the Christian tonight, Friends, you can't participate in that just yet because it's in Christ where one is changed to bear these good fruits, where he's created unto righteousness. You do that through obedience to the gospel by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24. By changing our hearts and our mind, the Bible calls it repentance, Luke 13, 3, literally a new mind. We change, and as a result of changing our mind, we change the course and tone and tenor of our lives, the directions, the way we live, the way we think, the way we speak. It's the very thing Paul is talking about to Titus. Christians aren't rude people. Christians aren't careless people with their tongues. Christians aren't unkind and mean people. Those aren't Christians. Christians are those people described in this book, ultimately changed people who are zealous for good works, 
and they don't malign people, and they're peaceable people. And friends, you need Jesus to be that person. And so confess his name. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and let him save you and let him change you. And friends, if you are and have been changed, read this three-chapter book again. Read it. Read it tonight. Read it at some point when you get a chance. Focus on these good deeds and think about yourself as it relates to God and Christ and Jesus. And then let's be people, people just like Jesus, who go about doing good. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.